Ah, uh, Samantha. Hey, Tracy. I am dreading this episode. Yeah, we've tried to record this once before and she couldn't handle it. So we'll see if we can I, I hate this story. I hate how the media, like, gave out information, the selective quotes that they used. Like, I got so upset one time that I just, I, I stopped recording right in the middle and I was like, I'm not doing this. I've talked her into it. I know. I know. And, and, I, and I'll do it. I just, ugh, I hate this case. There was, there was this, this, I don't know, you know, ghost stories or whatever that you tell while camping or whatever that I've told, I mean, my whole life since I was a teenager, which was, you know, according to you, 120 years ago. And just so <laughs> everybody knows, I'm not that damn old either. I don't know. It's, I need to see a birth certificate. <laughs> I don't have one. No. Um, about the click, click, shh. And, and this is how the, this is how the story goes. You're going to have trauma here. This is going to be like PTSD for you because you've heard this before. There's a little girl being raised by a single mom and her mom was sick and had a small baby at home and the baby was sick and the mom needed bread and butter. And so she asked her little girl to go to the grocery store to get bread and butter for her. And the little girl gets the money from her mom and she takes off walking at the end of their of their front door was a white picket fence gate. And she opened the gate, she closed the gate, she went off walking. Happy, merrily little girl skipping down the road and behind her she hears click, click, shh. And she turns around to look, she sees nothing. So she keeps walking and she hears it again, click, click, shh. She turns around and looks, nothing is there. So now she's a little scared. And so she walks, she walks faster, and she runs, starts running down the street, right behind her. She gets to the convenience store, to the convenience store, to the grocery store, runs inside, shuts the door. Goes around, gets a few items from the list that she needs, bread, butter, dozen eggs. Goes up, pays for them, but she's too scared to walk home. So she hides in the corner of the little country store. Finally, it's time to close and the grocery store guy comes over. The country store guy comes over and he says, do you need something? Are you okay? And she's scared and he's like, get out. We're closing. Kicks her out. Well, now it's getting dark. And she hesitantly is walking, looking around, scared out of her mind, seven years old, scared. She walks and she gets around the corner. The sun is setting. It's dusk. It's getting dark. And she hears click. So she just instantly takes off running, running as fast as she can to make her way home right behind her. And then she gets to the gate of her front house and never makes it through the gate. Her mother comes out looking for her later. No phone, no cell phones, obviously, because it was, a you know, 120 years ago when I was born. <laughs> and her little girl is dead in the front yard and in bread written by blood and butter is written I told you mommy the click click she was gonna get me if we also recall there was also the urban legend that we all heard as kids about the gas station and the truck with the dad and the little boy and the hook on the car yes where dad doesn't make it back into the truck because he is dead so I hate this story. story. So where 
stories come from, Tracy? <laughs> well, we're about to know. So I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. <sighs> this is a suspended sentence and the most dreaded episode ever. Here we go. <laughs> so, after that very dramatic intro this morning, Ugh. welcome to the Texarkana case. The Texarkana case. So, just to start out, last year, before I moved back to Wyoming, my husband and I did a tour of the South. We went from Texas through Arkansas, and we went to Memphis, we went to Alabama, we went to Mississippi. We did just a cute little little round, a little gallivant. When we were going to um, Memphis, you drive through Texarkana. I was so excited to go. I wanted to see this town. I've heard the story forever. We've heard the urban legends forever. You wanted to go through I, Texarkana based on your knowledge of this yes, case. You're yes. sadistic. And oh we, my God. We, I had planned and planned and planned and my husband got off late. And we drove through the town at dark. And I did not get to see the town. Oh my gosh. My heart breaks. Your heart breaks based on what you know about this case. Well, you know, as we will learn. Have you ever had a psyche, Val Smith? <laughs> I probably need one. But this town is A, known for this case. Uh-huh. B, as we will learn later, to this day, profits from this case. Oh, I'm sure. So, to start this, as I know, because I've talked to you about this and I know you hate this case, but others out there have probably seen the movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Mm -hmm. This movie came out in 1976. Um, Which was the actual year that I was born, (laughs) not 1870. (laughs) Like I said, I don't believe you. (laughs) So, this movie was a hit. I've watched the movie and the new one that came out. There was a remake of it, like, in the 90s. Both are terrible movies. Really? Terrible. But also nostalgically great because movies back then didn't have, you know, the animation and the things that our scary movies have today. Sure. So it was, you know, poor acting. It was (laughs) very fake blood, very whatever. So this movie claims that this... Everything that happens in this movie, they claim, is real. It really happened. As we will learn, this is not the case. So, like I said, we are covering the Texarkana case today. Ugh. This is a series of eight attacks that resulted in the death of five people. This took place in 1946 in Texarkana, which is a border town in Texas, Arkansas, and nearby Louisiana. That's how it gets its name. It's kind of a combination of Texarkana. Yeah. Uh, so, as of today, this is still an unsolved case. So, jumping right in, February 22nd, 1946, around midnight. 1946 or 76? 46. The movie came out in 76. Oh, okay. I was like, ah, that's not when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> around midnight, 25-year-old Jimmy Hollis and 19-year-old Mary Jean Larry parked their car on Lover's Lane. Both were married to other people when they had first met. Uh, and but were both in the process of divorces. That night, they had gone on a double date to a drive-in movie with Jimmy's younger brother and his date. They dropped them off and decided, we can stay out a little bit longer. Let's go to Lover's Lane. At one point, Jimmy got out of the car to look at the stars. You know, just awesome. Like, if you haven't been seeing the stars not in a city, 
you get out of your car and you look at the stars. Oh, and it's phenomenal. So this, I, this isn't weird. He's like, man, the stars are really pretty tonight. I'm getting out of my car and I'm going to look. <clears throat> He's standing on the dirt road when suddenly a flashlight is directly in his eyes. And I can't imagine how jarring this would be. You're like, you're just up like admiring the stars and all of a sudden there's a bright light in your eyes. Right. Like, so he's already, like, caught off guard. Stunned. The man uh, that is doing this begins to scream at Jimmy to, quote, take your fucking pants off. Jimmy was very confused and starts saying, hey, so I think you got the wrong guy, which just pissed the man off. He then told him that he didn't want to kill him, but he would if he didn't take his pants off. Jimmy does as he's told, removes his pants, and as soon as he gets his pants off, the man hits him with a blunt object to twice in the head. It is believed that this item was a lead pipe or a gun that he was hit with. Jimmy falls to the ground, where the man begins kicking him and stomping him in the chest. Later, Jimmy is said that he felt that that he felt metal spikes on the bottom of the man's shoes. Keyword: Jimmy recalls this happening. Yeah. So, spoiler: He does survive. That's not a spoiler. It's <laughs> like hallelujah. While um, Mary Jean is still in the car watching all this happens, she hears a crack that she's not sure what it is. Later, she would find out that this is Jimmy's skull. Ugh. She gets out of the car and grabs Jimmy's wallet out of his pants and yells at him, we don't have any money, because she believed this was a robbery attempt. He then slams the same object into the side of her head. He gets into her face and starts and yells at her to start running. She somehow manages to get up after being hit in the head with possibly a lead pipe, possibly a gun. She gets up and she takes off running. He yells after her to not run that way and to run up the road. She looks behind her and she could see him begin kicking Jimmy again. Out of nowhere, the man stops and starts running after Mary Jean. He gets up to her very quickly. Obviously, he hasn't been just hit in the head with a right. first object. She is t- uh, he then catches up to her and asks, why the hell are you running? Oh my gosh, because you told me to, you psychopath. And that was her response. You told me to run. And he said, you're a goddamn liar. He took um, whatever item he had, begin hit, be, he had hit her with to begin with and starts hitting her again. There's a really rough, um, here's a really rough trigger warning um, for this part. He, at that point, after knocking her down, after hitting her in the head multiple times, and pulls off her underwear and assaults her with his rifle. Uh, she then asked him, just please kill me already. As soon as he's done, as he's done, he just gets up and leaves. Mary does not just lay there in the dirt. Um, she's thinking of Jimmy, and she knows she needs to get him some help. She runs to a home where the man inside calls the sheriff. Can you imagine, like, the franticness of opening that door to no. Mary Jean? Jimmy has also somehow lived and woke up and, re- and remembers everything. Jimmy he cr- remembered everything. Mm-hmm. Oh. Jimmy crawls to the main road and flags down a car and begs for a ride to the hospital. The woman looks unfazed, and the man yells at him to get off his vehicle because he's going to get blood on his car seats. Jesus Christ. As soon as the car leaves, Jimmy, th- um, Jimmy thanks to Mary Jean, an, an ambulance arrives. Jimmy was in a coma for a week, and Mary, Mary was able to describe the attacker's mask and the voice and his voice. She said it was a black man. Jimmy, who was released 15 days later and struggling from severe nightmares and hallucinations, um, is then questioned, and it is believed, he believes that it was a white man, not over the age of 30, that was his attacker. There are no other clues. 
29-year-old Richard Griffin, a Navy Hence the reason eyewitness testimony is not reliable. Yeah. Two people, same place, two different descriptions. Why on something that? that is, you know, probably the simplest thing to identify, the color of someone's skin. Yeah. Now, if he was wearing a mask, I mean, that might hesitate it. So, are you going off of, like, he sounded like he was a black male? Did he sound white? Because... Some people say he was wearing a mask in these attacks. Some people say he wasn't. They said it was like a burlap sack over his head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's dark. And it's dark out. And you've sustained head, head blows, you yeah. know. So 29 that, That's my point. Like, that's why eyewitness testimony is so... Unreliable. Unreliable. 29-year-old Richard Griffin, a Navy vet, was dating 17-year-old Polly Moore in February of 1946. What did you say? 29-year-old Richard Griffin... And 17-year-old Polly. Okay. Does that catch you off guard? It was the 40s. I don't feel like that was... Uh, no, well, that <laughs> it doesn't make it right. <laughs> on March 23rd, 1946, they went on a, a date, which was another double date, where they met Richard's sister and her boyfriend up for dinner. They went to a movie and then went to a cafe until about 2 a.m. for a nightcap. They were driving to Polly's and pulled off at Lover's Lane. <clears throat> another car shortly after pulls in beside them the man in this car sneaks up on them and pulls a gun and tells richard to take his pants off he then shoots him twice in the back of the head before he has a chance to remove his pants there is no record of how polly got out of the vehicle but he laid out a blanket and shot her twice she was not and but she was not found on that blanket and there was no evidence of sexual assault he then placed her back into the car they were not found until the next day he takes her out of the vehicle on a blanket, shoots her, kills her. Kills her. And, and then puts her back in the vehicle. Yeah, so they're both found in the vehicle when they're found. They had the bullets to go off of, which was a thirty-two pistol. A $500 reward was posted, and the police interviewed 50 people in, a four, in the next four days, but nothing came of this. Next was 16-year-old Paul Martin, well-liked by his friends. They described him as the best guy that you would ever meet. Uh... And that he loved people. Betty Booker was 15 years old and was the youngest of our victims. Betty was very smart. She was a straight-A student who played the saxophone. Her and her mother were best friends. Her father had died um, when he was just 33 and her older brother had died at 16. Aww. Her mother said that she worshipped the ground that Betty walked on. April 12, 1946, Paul came to take Betty to a movie and to see her and her band. The show um, went past uh, past the showing of the movie, so he didn't go with his friends. He waited until 1 a.m. just to see her. He was love-struck. He lived from a town, the next town over, and she's just like this cute little straight-A like saxophone uh. player that's just playing with her band that night, and he's just being all supportive and yeah, waiting till 1 a.m. to see her. So she was really, really responsible with her saxophone. They were expensive, so every time she had a show, she would immediately take it home so that it was safe so that nothing mm -hmm. happened to it so he was supposed to be taking her home so that she could be dropping it off uh but she was hungry so they stopped and they grabbed a late night snack and paul said why don't we just stop by spring lake first and then we'll then we'll take it home before we go see your friends spring lake was that another word for lover's lane another or? lover's lane oh, okay yeah so we've got a pattern going here yeah so, she agrees to this. She says that should be fine. We're not leaving the car or anything. Like, that's fine. So, they park at Spring Lake, 
and a car pulls up next to him. A man gets out and walks to Paul's side and shows him his gun. The next morning around 6 a.m., Mr. and Mrs. Weaver take their child for a walk and find Paul's body. He had been shot four times in the head, once in his right hand, once in his face, and once in the shoulder. Uh, the hand kills yeah, me. Yeah. That's a defensive wound. Yeah. Uh, the sheriff saw that there was blood across the street from Paul's body, um, so they think that he was trying alive for a little while, trying to crawl, get away from him. Uh, but there was no sign of Betty. They didn't even know that she was with him until her mother and her friends said, Oh, where's Betty? She was with Paul last night. Where, where or he Betty? was trying to get away from the vehicle to lure him away from her so she could escape. Yeah. Which uh, sounds like how much he loved her. Yeah. Seems like he would have done anything to save her. So after they began searching for her, uh, six hours later... And two miles away from Paul, she is Betty is found. She is slumped against a tree and shot twice in the face and once in the chest. She had on a coat, and it had been all the way buttoned up and her hand placed into her pocket. Oh, my God, he posed her. He posed, posed Betty. Um, she had been sexually assaulted, and her saxophone was gone from Paul's car, and to this day it has never been found. Both victims were killed with a thirty two caliber weapon. So this is where one of those discrepancies come from in the movie. Uh, in the movie, they have the saxophone, like, very crudely placed into one of her wounds. Ugh. Um, that, that didn't happen. That doesn't make it any better, but she wasn't assaulted with her saxophone like it was mm-hmm. portrayed in the movie. Um, so I don't know why he took the saxophone, but that was never recovered from anyone. Pretty common, though, for serial killers to take something. Yeah. And she's the only one that's put... Well, I guess she's not the only one. She's not. Because the... She was put in the back of the car. Yeah. The second so, one. You see the escalation. Polly, Polly was put back in the car. You see the escalation of the... Yeah. Because we talk about that a lot, too. How specifically with serial killers, but with all serial... With all criminals. Yeah. It escalates. It increases. The thrill needs to be more. Yep. This is disgusting. So clearly this is now six attacks. Uh, so the town is freaking out. They start by um, bringing in anyone that looks a little bit shady to them. The police are bringing them in. People are getting suspicious of their neighbors. Yes. Of their, yeah. You Texas bet. Rangers start um, parking at Lover's Lane and pretend to be couples to try and lure in the killer. Uh and I can't imagine that. Like, you're, like, an o- you're an officer in, like, your plain day clothing. You're just, like, sitting there with your partner, like... Yeah. Think he'll show up? I don't know. Do you think he's gonna show up? Like, what do you talk about in that? Like, I would be so scared. Yeah. I'd be so scared. And I understand, like, your job is to protect and serve, but, like, that's still, you're, like... Right. Terrifying. So, the Texas... Uh, like I said, the Texas Rangers start parking, uh, but the killer never shows. This is how he got the nickname, the Phantom Killer. People start buying locks, guns, there's a curfew put in place, and a reward for $6,420 that is listed for anything leading to the arrest. So two tips that come in are very helpful. I say that incredibly sarcastically. Some two women called in and said that they had information that they got received in their dreams about who the killer was. In their dreams. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, neighbors start shooting at each other at night. Uh, so, 
It was kind of the theory of shoot now, ask questions yeah. later because we don't know who it is. So if there was any noise after curfew, people were shooting. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. now we've got wounds from people shooting their neighbors because they're scared. That are coming onto their property or just being placed that are not any noise whatsoever. Any noise. Noises outside, people were just shoot, open firing. Oh, wow. Because it's kind of, I mean, I can kind of respect that a little bit in that, I mean, here in Wyoming, you don't step on somebody's land without permission because you can expect to be shot at. Yeah. But if you're just, like, walking into your house across the street and people start shooting at you. Yeah, like, if I'm walking into my house. Bill, it's me. I'm walking in. <laughs> right. You're a whole different level of respecting that curfew. Yeah. What? Right. So, in May, the killer would attack his last victims, and this is one that is very different. Um, Virgil and Katie Starks are husband and wife, both turning 37, um, and have a nice little farmhouse. This one is really, like, they're all really sad, but this one's like, they just like are such a cute little, like, lovely little couple. Virgil was a farmer, and Katie um, Katie was described by her neighbors and people of her town as a very sweet and popular person in the community and, the fa- and a family that was very well loved. They did not feel unsafe being home at night because they weren't teens and they weren't at Lover's Lane. They were just at their little farmhouse. Mm-hmm. They were also really good friends with the sheriff. That night, right before... Oh, and they were at home. You feel safe at home. Yeah. That night, right before they were going to bed, Katie said that she heard a noise. Virgil dismissed this and said, we live on a farm. Yeah. There's noises everywhere. Yeah. Suddenly, right after Virgil says this, there's a man with a 22 caliber gun on the other side of the window. He shoots through the window, shooting Virgil as he's sitting in his easy chair listening to the radio for the evening news. He was shot in the back of his head twice. Katie runs into the living room thinking that maybe he fell out of his chair. She She says she doesn't hear the shots. She just heard the thud of him falling. She's like, oh gosh, like Virgil fell, goes in there to check on him. Um, as she runs in, she sees that, uh, or she sees that he's been shot and runs to the dial phone because it's mm-hmm. 40, so it's a dial phone, can't just quick dial 911. As she's dialing 911, she is shot twice in the head as well. Mm-hmm. She's shot once into her cheek and the other into her lower jaw. Um, so she loses all of her teeth. Because yeah. it hit her jaw, so. So, the fact that you just said she loses her teeth makes me think she lived? She does live. Okay. Uh, do you do you know a lot about guns? <clears throat> well, you do. But for those that don't, the difference in a twenty two caliber and, and a thirty eight caliber, you get shot close range at a thirty eight caliber, you're not going to live. You get shot from a twenty two, you've got an okay chance of living. Yeah. The, the size different in the bullet is, it's pretty substantial. I mean, we shoot twenty twos like for fun, for target. It's, I mean, not that guns are, I mean, we do it responsibly, obviously, but twenty twos are more, <clears throat> yeah. My sister got accidentally shot by a twenty two once. Really? How did I know that? I don't, I don't know why I'm laughing about that because it was kind of a funny situation, but, um, and I mean, she was, she was fine. How did I not know that story? I don't, we were, I don't <laughs> what know. The hell? I don't know, but okay. she was fine. Now, had that been a thirty-eight, she'd be dead. Right. 
Well, it was still enough damage because she was shot. In the oh house, yeah, but... yeah. I mean, if it's, I mean, it'll do damage. Yeah. So, Katie is very smart and decides that she's going to drop to the floor and play dead in case he's still watching. Her. Smart girl. So she does, and eventually she crawls into her room looking for the gun, which, because this seems to be the case, whenever you need your gun, you can't find it. Yeah. You can't find their gun. She runs into the room as she sees the man beginning to crawl through her kitchen window. She runs out the front door and across the highway to her sister's house, and her sister is not home. Another neighbor comes out to see what's happening. Um, he sees the status of Katie and fires his own weapon into the air to alert the neighbors because they had like this little yeah. like, mm -hmm. hey, if you hear two shots in the air, that's Billy down the street. If I if you hear one shot, it's Steve. Nice. Like, they had like a little like community watch thing. Going okay, on. so but nobody heard the two, sh the four shots. That's that... what I, yeah. I mean, why did? Okay. I don't know. I'm going with that. It's required that he he fired his gun into the air to alert the neighbors. Neighbors come out, and he tells somebody that to, to, to get her in the car and take Mrs. Dark to the hospital. During the drive, and I think this kind of says a lot about, like, what, how she was as a woman. During the drive, she spits out a loose tooth that had a gold filling in it and hands it to the person in the passenger seat and says, Can you please hold on to this? I paid a lot. I paid good money for these. Oh, she was in shock. Earlier in the evening, the police had driven by the Starks' home and noticed an, a car that they hadn't seen before oddly parked near the home. When they drove by again, the car was gone. At the time the police drove by, this was the time Katie was being driven to the hospital. So it's speculated that that was the killer's vehicle that they hadn't ever seen in that neighborhood before. But they were like, well, maybe somebody's having company. Right. But then it's gone right as she's on her way to the hospital. Mm. So... Evading the police very, very narrowly there. Yeah. I was thinking of a different analogy that would not have been appropriate. <laughs> other than the car, there was no other evidence. The town went back into lockdown after sundown, sundown hence the movie name, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. Mm -hmm. Police from four other towns started doing rounds there as well. But after Katie and Virgil, it all just stopped. Over 400 people were, de were detained for these crimes. U.I. Sweeney was a townie um, who, to this day, is the prime suspect. His wife stated that he was the killer, but as his wife, she could never testify against him. He died in 1994, and it was never pinned on him. Why did she say that he was the killer? He said he, she said that he confessed to it, that he came home and confessed to the killings, and that she was scared to be with him. But as his wife, he can't testify against your spouse. Hmm. So, like I said at the beginning, there's a couple of movies that came from this. Texarkana has an annual movie festival that shows both of the movies and brings in tons of people per year. The movie is shown on Halloween night and played at the location where Paul was found. Ugh. I was waiting for a reaction. It took a minute. Ugh. To the date, to date, the identity of the phantom killer remains unknown. While theoretically, this case is still open, it is considered a closed case or a cold case. Wow. So if you, I mean, want to get extra morbid, I guess on Halloween you can like go to Texarkana and like sit where somebody was brutally murdered and watch the movie about his life. No thanks. Seems a little, a little morbid, and it's kind of. A, 
interesting that they do the movie festival because at the end of the town that dreaded sundown they're showing the movie and they insinuate they like screen to a guy's boots who's insinuating that the killer every year goes and watches the movies <laughs> so that's how the town had spoiler alert that's how the end of that movie goes is the killer comes back every year to watch the movies with everybody yeah. else so what's your theory on why it stopped i don't know I don't know that I have one. Really? I mean, Sweeney sounds pretty good because he did a lot of time in and out of jails for other crimes. No, I mean the actual the actual crimes. Like, what's your theory on... I don't know what this one. I mean, other than, like, if, if he hated love. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like, Lover's Lane, the young couples. Yeah. Maybe he was, like, really religious and didn't think that people should be... Doing that? Hokey Pokey and on Lover's Lane. Well, so... What's yours? What do you think? I think... You made it through. I'm so proud of you. I hate it so much. You did a better job of, I mean, not saying exactly what, like, the media reports said. Because some of the stuff that they put... Not the media. The police reports. It pissed me off. They talked about... they, They said things in a way that was just, like, so disrespectful to the severity of the case. You know, it took away from... I don't know. This whole... I don't know. You know what I mean. Like, I the police it, reports were, there's were nasty. There's a police report that talks about her teeth. And, and just made her sound like she didn't love her husband and that all she cared about was the fact that, you know, oh, my God, my, my face and my teeth, which was not the case. Yeah. That was not the case. Um, so the first four victims, four victims, mm-hmm. were at Lover's Lane. Yep. Then the lake. Wait. Oh. And then the lake. So six victims were at a lover's lane. Yeah. And then the police said, okay, we're going to set up a raid pretty much and try and lure this guy in, which, um, and he never showed up, which makes it, give me the time frame again between these, between these, between the first three mm. murders here. So the first one was February 22nd. Okay. Second was... The, uh, March 23rd, so a month. The 3rd... April 12th, so a month. So a month. And then... And then the police say they're gonna... They're gonna set him up, basically. Yeah. And then he never shows up again. Which makes me believe that he got tipped off that this was happening. Which makes me believe that he had some, in like, inside intel. Yeah. Or that he was watching... And then... Him. And then, when does he go to, to their house? What was the date on that? Hang on, I still got a word here. That's okay. You got February, March, April, two victims, once a month. And then the house. He had to change his complete MO. He had to change the way that he... Uh, June. In June. The location, his whole, his whole setup, and it had been successful for six different murders. Like this was his vibe. This was what he was going to do. This was, you know, and that's the thing with serial killers is they're very structured. They're very, they have it figured out and that's really like the only way that they can do it. Then he has to switch it up to feed the, the need, the desire, the whatever that he needs to go and sadistic 
to do this, but he's got to change it up to feed that, right? So now he's got to break into somebody's house and do it a different way, which did not work out for him. And as close as he was to being caught, I mean, the cops drove right by it. Right. Well, so why do you think some, like, he told them to remove, they told the men to remove their pants. Mm Mm-hmm. Obviously, that was different. With Virgil, he did it through the glass. He didn't even let them know he was there. Yeah. Um, as well as two of the victims were assaulted. Right. So, it is a little bit different. It's not. It's not, though. It's different in that the actual act and the process was different, but being naked is vulnerability. So it doesn't, we don't know what happened with, with those girls, if those girls fought back, if they said something that was demeaning, if they, you know, whatever to, I don't want to say make him take it to the next level, but that, or maybe he was more attracted to them or maybe they were, who knows? Who knows? You can't, you can't decipher that. But the sexuality of the entire situation, both with the men and the women, makes him in a position of power and makes the victims more vulnerable. Right? Mm-hmm. Because he didn't, he didn't write. He didn't do anything sexual that we know of to the, to the men. Not that, yeah, no. Except, not mm-hmm. except, because I... Honestly, I do not see a difference. I do not know why we as a society differentiate between sex, sexual um, degradation of men or women. I, there is no difference. Taking a man, making a man take off his clothes, to me, in my mind, is exactly the same as making a woman take off her clothes. It is sexual, sexually degrading, and it creates vulnerability, especially then where morality and chastity and modesty was heightened yeah. you know anymore not not so much and we've kind of gotten used to it and moved away from that as a culture as in whole but but it it was degrading and it created vulnerability and and, and power over them uh, do i do i think that he just stopped i don't think so just maybe moved locations or or found a different way. I mean, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, and like the mind games in the first one. <laughs> maybe maybe he got maybe maybe almost getting caught scared him badly enough. But then going home and bragging about it to his wife or telling his wife about it. Well, and that's why people say also that it might be Sweeney is because he did have a lot of like little times that he was in jail for like robbery and stuff like that that they were like, "Okay, well, he started getting arrested a lot after that, so maybe we just had him in jail. Maybe. Maybe he, that's why it stopped. He got arrested for things like robbery? Is that what yeah. you said? That, I mean... Does it seem... Crimes... Right? No. Crimes uh, rarely digress. Yeah. You know, they... They escalate. They don't digress. Yeah. Especially after you do it to that extent. But the confidence... The confidence in him from, from scene one, walking straight up to somebody... Just like that, shining a flashlight in his eyes and saying, take off your fucking pants. I don't want to kill you, but I will unless you do what I say. I mean, the confidence in that. Yeah. Again, the ego. Yeah. Well, and the mind games with her, with Mary Jean. Run. Not that way. Why are you running? 
you're a liar. I never told you to run. Right. And she's like, holy crap, bro. What do you want me to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. I don't have any money. Like, what do you want? Yeah. And, yeah. And he and didn't rob, right he didn't rob anybody. He didn't, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe he had some kind of, seriously, I'm not, I'm not being, maybe he had like a sexual dysfunction or something. And that's why he used the gun? Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing with other serial killers. We've seen that in the past where they've either been made fun of or can't perform or have been told that they're bad. And so, so they, they use objects instead of... Well, not just not just that, but, they're, but they'll start to commit crimes to make them... To emasculate themselves in some way. I don't know. That's just sick. I hate this case. I hate it. But I made it through. I gave my opinion. Now we can so be done, right? You. Now we can be done with it, right? I'm never Wait, going to so text you're saying, him. You're saying on Halloween we're not going? No. Why? I don't no, I'm not. And I don't I don't really ever want to discuss this case again. I mean we could if you wanted. We could go to Texas. You can if you want, but I don't wanna don't send me a postcard from there. I'm gonna send you a postcard and like I don't know, man. Maybe how long ago was the forties? Um he'd be really old. He'd be dead. Mm. No, maybe. Not necessarily. Depends on how old he was when he was... Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he does go every Halloween and watch the movies. Maybe. Maybe. he should be observing the crowds. (laughs) I think at this point, it's... I don't know. If we see any really, 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 really old men chilling in the back of the crowd... Wearing boots. Wearing boots. We shouldn't be making a joke out of this, but... They're kind of... But the town kind of is, which is kind of, like, crazy to me. Usually towns are, like don't want to like they want to get away from like that stigma behind things well sometimes things happen that that's what makes you infamous right like every time I think of Waco Texas what am I going to think of yeah you know I'm going to I'm going to think of those in Waco yeah I'm going to a new documentary came out of that when you when you hear about Columbine what do you think about when you I yeah there's just there's there's things that happen that unfortunately make your town infamous or relevant in some way yeah. huh anyway i made it through it i'm done that's I'm it i'm tapping out for Great the job. day thanks for joining us guys we'll see you next week thanks guys stay safe